Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. It's podcast number 132 for March 1st, 2009. A long time ago, back in the early 1980s, people started buying computers and bringing them home. Then they brought modems home. Modems allowed them to connect to a computer at the office, to somebody else's computer, or to a bulletin board system. And they did all this at 1200 baud. Then they might have dropped several hundred dollars on a new modem that was a lot faster, 2400 baud, and eventually on a 9600 baud modem. Later modems were even faster, but by then cable modems had started to become available, and people wanted that extra speed so they could take advantage of the web when it became widely available in the mid-1990s. Eventually, people brought home more than one computer, and then they needed a router, maybe a switch, a hub, possibly even a bridge. And then things really started to get complicated. Security and firewalls had to be managed. Network devices had to be shared and protected. IP addresses needed to be assigned. Maybe your head is still spinning because of all this. If so, you need a little magic. Trevor Bratton of Cisco Systems characterizes network magic as an application that automates tasks many users find frustrating, like staying connected to the Internet. Besides simplifying file and printer sharing, Network Magic provides a number of useful monitoring functions. It's available for PCs and for a mixed PC-Mac network. For the PC, there are two versions, Network Magic Pro and Network Magic Essentials. Both offer a variety of features that automate and simplify networking tasks, such as connecting to the Internet and sharing files and printers. Network Magic Pro adds features to protect, connect, and monitor your network. Network Magic for the Mac helps users connect PCs and Macs together on the same network so that printers and files can easily be shared. Now, yes, obviously you can do all of this manually if you know how. Most people don't. The Essentials version can run on up to three computers, the Pro version on up to eight, and the Mac version allows easy integration of up to eight Macs into your Windows network. As you build the network out, you get a network map from Network Magic. The network map may require more than one screen, and it creates a new section in every dialog used for opening or saving files. It's easy to pick the shared folder you want on any machine and open a file from there. And if you have permission to write, change, or delete files on the other machine, you can also perform those functions. The sharing of files itself is actually a two-step process. First, you use the Windows Explorer to share an entire drive or a folder on a drive. Then you need to tell Network Magic to convert the shared directory for use by Network Magic. The same dialog box is used if you want to stop sharing a folder or a drive. I was a little disappointed to find that shares established on an external USB hard drive cannot be accessed through Network Magic, at least not on my desktop machine. Initially, I thought the problem might be a combination of large directories and slow external connections, but attempting, unsuccessfully I might add, to share just a single folder with one file in it disproved that theory. 
What I found, though, is that these shares are not available without network magic. So the problem isn't really a network magic shortcoming. It might in some way be related to Carbonite, a backup application that backs up data from any internal drive, but not from network drives or any external USB drive. So far, that's only a supposition. And I had really hoped that network magic would eliminate the need for users to modify their firewall rules to share files. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You'll still need to know or learn how to tell your firewall that devices attached to the subnet are safe. This isn't very difficult, but every firewall seems to use different terminology, and Network Magic doesn't have up-to-date information on firewalls in its online support section. One might think that once you've mastered setting up the firewall properly, you really don't need what Network Magic has to offer. If so, I have one word for you. Wrong. For many people, this is an application that will provide a lot of useful features beyond just sharing files and folders hooking up one machine to another. Wireless security is listed on the menu, but it is not available for my Netgear router. If you want to have Network Magic manage your Wi-Fi security, you probably need to couple it with a Linksys router. Linksys is owned by Cisco. Cisco is the company that also owns Network Magic. There's also an option to set up and share other network-connected devices, such as printers and network-attached storage drives. Network Magic includes a network speed test that connects to one of several Internet sites to measure upload and download speeds. And when I tried it, I was pleasantly surprised to find that Wide Open West continues to maintain very good throughput. If after running the speed test you find that your connection is too slow, you can run a local test that looks only at the speed of your LAN. It does that because the speed problem might be a local problem instead of an Internet problem. I ran both tests, and the test on the LAN simply told me that my internal speed was already faster than the Internet. But then I already knew that. I am not a big fan of Tattler programs, but I do understand the need to take an active role in managing your children's Internet access. Network Magic makes it possible to restrict Internet access. This is a topic that always raises concerns about unintended consequences. Blocker programs may prohibit accessing encyclopedia articles about World War II, for example. This isn't what Network Magic does. Instead, it allows you to limit Internet access to specific hours. Now, that may seem reasonable, but what if your high school senior is working on the final copy of a paper for honors history? It's 2 a.m., and he or she needs to check a reference. If you've restricted access to a period between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m., you're going to have a frustrated student. Or maybe you're going to have a frustrated student waking you up to open the Internet. So maybe it's better to leave the Internet connection open day and night, but monitor which applications are using the Internet. Or maybe you'd just prefer to review logs to determine which websites your network's users are visiting. Or maybe just trusting your children is a better option. Regardless of the option you choose, Network Magic will be able to help, except possibly with that trust thing. Network Magic can also provide a list of what has happened on each computer within the past 24 hours, and I find this report useful. The report shows a number of things. It shows the applications used during the period, along with a summary of how much time the application was active. And there are check marks to show which periods of the day the application was active. 
Then you'll see a list of all applications that were installed or uninstalled during the period. The next section is called Computer Health. It shows Windows updates if they are due. It shows your firewall status, whether one is enabled, and it shows the status of other security applications that it happens to find installed on the computer. The fourth section shows a list of websites the computer has visited over the past 24 hours. And the fifth section is a graph. It shows the bandwidth used by the computer for each hour during the previous 24-hour period. All useful reports. So, for me, Network Magic, the bottom line, for cats, it brings easy-to-use network setup and monitoring tools right to your desktop. In fact, Network Magic would earn five cats if it could also manage firewall rules so that sharing would be entirely automatic and if it could manage Wi-Fi security on non-Linksys routers. Even so, it's a worthy product. Speaking of firewalls, if you use Windows Vista, this section may not be of interest to you because the Vista firewall is actually a full-fledged firewall, unlike the one provided with Windows XP. Before Windows XP, Microsoft did not include any firewall with the operating system. Those who use Vista don't necessarily need to replace the operating system's firewall, but those who want more features than the Vista firewall provides might want to consider one of the third-party free or paid firewalls, and you'll be surprised by the range of choices you have. There is, of course, the Zone Alarm firewall by Zone Labs. It's the great-granddaddy of PC firewalls. It is the one I selected many years ago and the one I used for a lot of years. Zone Lab then tried branching out into antivirus applications and other security components. The result was a slow, buggy resource hog, so I dropped Zone Alarm in favor of the free Komodo firewall. Komodo reminded me of earlier versions of Zone Alarm. It was quick, easy to understand, able to protect without getting in the way. Then Windows Vista arrived, and Komodo didn't work with Vista. So I used the Vista firewall for the two years that I had that operating system installed, but I kept Komodo on the notebook computer. Komodo version 3 came along. It supported Vista, but the interface was so confusing and hard to comprehend that I couldn't figure it out. The final straw was when I couldn't determine how to make Komodo stop interfering with network magic. So I removed it from the desktop computer and returned to the free version of Zone Alarm. For the notebook computer, I installed Firewall Plus from PC Tools. The PC Tools firewall bears a striking resemblance to Zone Alarm, including an Internet activity icon in the tray. In fact, for a moment, I thought the Zone Alarm firewall was still running after I installed PC Tools. During the installation, PC Tools will default to a setting that will try to install ThreatFire. That's an antivirus application. I am happy with the free version of AVG antivirus that I use on the notebook computer, so I said no to that request. Next, I had the opportunity to declare myself a normal user or an expert user. I selected expert because this will cause the firewall to give me additional information about possible threats. I was also offered the opportunity to have PC Tools build a list of trusted applications from the programs already installed on the computer. That feature is turned off by default, but... I enabled it. There are, of course, other firewalls. Cymatic's Norton Division offers a firewall, but I have largely avoided Norton applications because of their reputation for being slow and hogging resources. Current versions have received much better reviews.
Cario offers a free version of its firewall. However, that was discontinued when the company was acquired by Sunbelt Software. Now there is only a free trial version. And Agnetum, you'll hear more about it in just a moment, offers a free version of its Outpost firewall. There are four good choices. The current free versions of Zone Alarm and Firewall Plus are very good choices. Komodo, my preferred free firewall until the company released version 3, is now too complex as far as I'm concerned for all but the geekiest of network geeks. And Agnetum falls in my final four. I like the PC Tools option to locate and approve all applications that have already been installed. Now, as I mentioned, this is deactivated by default. I presume that is to avoid clearing already installed malware. And for that reason, it's a good idea to have it disabled by default. If you are sure that your computer is clean, turn the option on and it'll save you a lot of time. If you are not absolutely certain your computer is clean, leave it deactivated. Firewall Plus creates two zones by default, much as Zone Alarm does. The Internet Zone, assumed to be unsafe, and a local zone. That's defined as any IP address in the private address range. Assuming that computers on your own LAN are safe seems reasonable enough to me. The PC Tools interface is one that most users will be able to comprehend, even those who don't have degrees in network engineering. The current version of Zone Alarm is a close second However, the free version is so severely crippled that I have a little trouble recommending it. Zone Alarm does make it easier for users to place a subnet, your LAN in other words, in the trusted zone. And then I looked at the Agnetum Outpost Firewall. It's a product from St. Petersburg, Russia. It is an application with two exceptional features. First, it uses an open architecture that allows other programmers to write plugins for the firewall. That's just like what people do when they're writing plugins for Firefox. Second, when the firewall encounters a new application that wants access to the Internet, it proposes a safe answer. If the firewall already knows about the application, the default option will be allow. If it doesn't, then the default option will be block. Even better, when you choose to approve an application's Internet access, the Outpost Firewall presents a rule that shows you the data packet type the protocol, and the port number. These are things that most users would have trouble figuring out on their own. The Agnetum firewall simply shows you that information, and all you have to do is indicate whether you want to allow, deny, or reject the connection, and click OK. Nothing could be easier. The company also offers a paid firewall, and when you run the application for the first time, it will immediately suggest upgrading, or at least trying a 30-day free trial of the full version. So for bottom lines, we have the PC Tools Free Firewall, 4CATS, just about everything you need to keep your computer safe. Firewall Plus is easy to install, easy to use, and conservative when it comes to using system resources. I did encounter some problems on the desktop computer that seemed to be tied to the PC Tools Firewall, but additional research indicated that the firewall was at most a contributing actor as part of a larger problem. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Then there's Zone Alarm's free firewall. Three cats. Easy to use, but severely limited. If you need a basic firewall and you don't need to write any specific firewall rules, Zone Alarm free is exactly what you need. The application returns to its origin with a firewall that's limited, but easy to use. I just found the limitations a bit too constricting. 
Agnetum, new entry in the firewall market, but it holds a lot of promise, and I give it three cats. There's a great deal of intelligence built into this firewall, but occasionally it can get in the way of desired communication, and when that happens, the controls turn out to be just slightly too opaque for the average user. And for the Komodo firewall, it's still a good firewall, but I find it rather complex, far too complex for most users, and I'd give it two cats. The Komodo firewall version 2 was a remarkable application, easy to install, easy to use, and free. When they upgraded to version 3, they made it hard to use with an overly complex interface. Still works, just a little hard to understand in some cases. Sometimes I need to delete files, temporary files, for example. I zap those little buggers every now and then because Windows and some Windows applications really don't do a very good job of cleaning up after themselves. So when I selected 50 or so small temporary files recently and pressed the delete key, I expected the files to disappear. Instead, the Windows Explorer froze, and to recover, I had to reboot the computer. Eh, just a Windows anomaly, I thought, and I tried the operation again, expecting it to succeed. Windows Explorer froze again. Well, that told me there was a problem. Finding out what the problem was took nearly a dozen hours over the next several days, and in the end, ended up not really being definitive. I was fairly sure there was no virus, worm, or malware involved, but I ran a scan just to be sure. The machine was, as I expected, clean. The most likely cause, I thought, then, would be a service or an application that ran at startup. Uh, reviewing the symptoms... Any attempt to delete any file, regardless of size, on any drive on the machine caused Windows Explorer to freeze. In initial testing, I waited in excess of 10 minutes for a response from the application. During that time, disk activity was minimal. CPU usage dropped to 3%. No component that uses the Explorer, that would be the Start menu, any icons on the desktop, anything in the taskbar, anything in Quick Start, or the tray, none of those things were responsive. Another symptom. Selecting the File menu from the Windows Explorer menu caused the Explorer to become unresponsive, but the application in that case usually could be killed without rebooting the computer. Right-clicking any object that calls the Explorer causes the application involved to crash, and that often requires a restart. And one final clue, opening KeyPass, that's a password management application, totally freezes the computer, requiring a power-off restart. Wow. I was logged on in all instances as myself, and of course I give me administrator privileges. Later during the testing, I was logged on as the administrator. Analyzing this kind of problem lends itself to a binary search. Disable half the suspects in test, then disable the other half. Presuming the problem persists with one group enabled but not the other, you've immediately cut the list of suspects in half. You repeat the process of cutting the suspects in half until you find the culprit. <laughs> well, you don't really cut the suspects in half, but you know what I mean. So using msconfig, I disabled all services except Microsoft services and all startup applications. I was then able to delete files normally after restarting the computer. So I re-enabled all of the services and allowed all of the startup applications to remain disabled. I was still able to delete files normally. I then re-enabled all of the startup applications and allowed all services to remain enabled. My assumption was that any attempt to delete a file now would cause the Windows Explorer to hang. I was not disappointed. Now, from this point forward, I did all testing with all services enabled. It was clear they weren't what was causing the problem. It was something that was being started. So I disabled all startup applications, just for confirmation, and file deletion was normal. I then re-enabled the bottom half of the startup applications. File deletion was normal. 
So this indicated the problem was caused by one of the startup applications listed in the top half. I then re-enabled half of those files. Deletion was normal. That meant the problem was in the other half. Well, eventually I had it narrowed down to an application called Firewall GUI. Firewall GUI is associated with the PC Tools Free Firewall. Aha, I thought, this must be the culprit. I thought I'd solved the problem. Every time I disabled the firewall graphical user interface, I was able to delete files. Every time I re-enabled it, the Windows Explorer would hang. So I really did think I had solved the problem, but a day later, I discovered that I hadn't solved the problem because the firewall graphical user interface wasn't running and I wasn't able to delete files. So what could some other problems be? Other possibilities included malware that might have hidden from my previous tests, maybe a corrupt user account, hardware problems, faulty application somewhere, or corrupt context menu handlers. To check for malware and most hardware problems, I started the computer with the Ultimate Windows Boot Disk and ran a series of tests. The Ultimate Windows Boot Disk is one of those utilities I told you about recently. The system passed all the tests. I then created a new user account and found that the same problems existed with that account, so it wasn't an account-based problem. I then used a utility application to turn off all the context menu handlers, Still, the problem persisted. That strongly suggested an application conflict. The most recent addition was the PC Tools Firewall Plus, which I had used to replace the Zone Alarm program, which in turn had replaced Komodo. I had suspected, but cleared, or so I thought, the firewall's graphical user interface. Could it be the firewall itself was causing the problem, or at least contributing to it? Uh, to find out, I uninstalled the PC Tools Firewall Plus and restarted the computer. The problem had vanished. Right-clicking was once again okay. The file menu worked. KeyPass didn't lock up the computer. But I wanted to confirm my findings. The installation file I had used to install the PC Tools Firewall Plus could have been corrupt. So I downloaded a new copy of the firewall installer and ran it, installed the firewall, and when I rebooted the computer, I found the symptoms had returned. Uninstalling the firewall once again eliminated the problem. Mystery solved. Partially. I say partially because the symptoms have continued occasionally. So although the PC Tools Firewall Plus application exacerbated the problem, the root cause is more likely to be a Windows problem. Windows collects a lot of junk as applications are added and removed. That's something I do a lot of. And eventually this begins to cause serious problems. So it looks like it may be time for yet another rebuild. <laughs> In Nerdly News, an update to Adobe Flash fixes five problems that affect Windows, OS X, and Linux platforms. One of the flaws could allow a PC to be compromised when the user views a Flash file. Flash is used on millions of websites, and most browsers have the Flash player installed, so it's really an attractive target. The infected Flash applications usually hide behind some sort of social engineering design to trick users into opening the file. Also fixed with the current patch is a vulnerability that allows what's called click jacking. That's a process that causes the user to think a click will do one thing when it actually does something else entirely. An input validation flaw is the subject of two fixes in the patch. These could lay the groundwork for a denial of service attack. And the final fix applies only to Linux systems. So, what you should do now is check to make sure that your Flash player is the most current version. 
and the most current version is 10.0.22.87. If you have any Adobe products installed, you can use the Adobe Updater. Otherwise, visit the Adobe website to obtain the player. Or, if you want, you can use a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, to determine which version of the Flash player is installed on your computer. And if you have an older version, you can update from there. The current update does nothing to resolve a problem with Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Acrobat Reader. Both of these applications have JavaScript vulnerabilities, and these are hazards for both Windows and Mac users. For now, the best workaround is simply to disable JavaScript in Acrobat. If you must retain JavaScript functionality in your Acrobat products, you should download a temporary patch from Sourcefire. You'll find a link to Sourcefire on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you do download that patch, though, it's important to understand that the patch is not supported by Adobe. If you think YouTube and such are just for high school and college students, think again. TV ratings company Nielsen says TV watching was up in the final quarter of 2008. That could be partially related to the economy, of course. When people don't have any money, they tend to stay at home. What is a bit surprising is where some of the video was coming from, the Internet, and who was watching it. Nielsen says more than half of the people who watch Internet video are 35 years old and older, the real relics. And the segment that watches the most Internet video, well, that's the 45 to 54-year-old group. More viewers are in that age range than any other. Nielsen says more people are time-shifting programs, too. Digital video recorder sales continue to increase, and those who use DVRs are able to skip through commercials in just seconds instead of minutes. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.